Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about jobs and work today on the show. First, we'll discuss the record low unemployment rate and how it affects the overall economy as well as concerns about things like inflation. And then we'll hear about a new report from Detroit Future City that identifies 107 so-called growth occupations, jobs that move people to better economic circumstances. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join us today. In some ways, it's hard to overestimate the importance of work in American life. When people aren't sufficiently employed, they don't have any of the other things they need. Money, food, transit, health care, housing, everything else can be really unattainable if someone can't get a job that pays them enough. That's how much work is attached to everything else. So it was really welcome news when, on the national stage, we got good news in the world of work. The Department of Labor recently announced that the unemployment rate is at 3%, the lowest it has been in decades. This comes as inflation has also cooled to 6% after being at a high of 9% last summer. A little later in the hour, we're going to discuss a different jobs report that was published by the local think tank Detroit Future City. Now, that report suggests that there are about 107 different jobs in Michigan, in southeast Michigan, that offer upward mobility into the middle class, a really key indicator in our city and in our region. But first today, we want to talk about the unemployment rate and inflation. What do these numbers really say about our economy? How good is this news, really? And how much credit can the president and the Congress take in helping workplaces achieve these numbers. We've got a really great guest to help us make sense of this. Charles Ballard is a professor of economics at Michigan State University. Professor Ballard, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks very much, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, And uh, I just want to say up front that we, of course, hope you're doing well as MSU gets back to somewhat normal life uh, this week. Uh, I was thinking of you along with everyone else that I know in the MSU community uh, last week. Um, I, I appreciate that. It, you know, it has been a um, a difficult uh, time, but I I, I think uh, you know um, our student body and our faculty have shown great resilience, and I'm 
I'm very hopeful that we'll get back to something as close to normal as we can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very soon. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk some about the economy. 3% unemployment. We haven't seen a number like that in a really long time. What does that mean for the economy? What does it tell us about the economy? Well, that number by itself is is really good. Uh, the unemployment rate, the last time it's been as low as it is now was in 1969, uh, 53 years ago. That means, I think, that uh, most of your listeners uh, have, this is the lowest in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the unemployment rate, what it is, is it's of the people who are in the labor force, that is, that they want to work. Um, what percentage of them are unemployed? That is, they, they, they're looking for work. They want to work, but they can't find a job right now. Um, only a little bit more than 3% are, are unemployed. Um, that means that most people who want to work can, can find a job. Sure, there are still areas of concern. Um, not all those jobs are at very good wages. Um, and there are still people who don't, who are unable to find work. And there's another group who, um, even if they're not counted as unemployed, they may have dropped out of the labor force because they're discouraged. They've tried to find work. Uh, There are a lot of people, if they have, if they don't have much education and training and skills, they have trouble fitting into our modern economy, Uh, people with uh, health issues and so on. But Overall, it's a very strong labor market, and that in itself is a good sign. Uh, the, the downside of it is that it's, our economy has grown so strongly that we, we have inflationary pressures, and, and I think we're going to talk about inflation, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- before we get to, to that and the, the sort of interconnectedness of things like the unemployment rate and, and inflation, I, I want to talk just for a second about – the possibility, or I guess the 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 strong possibility, it seems that one of the things driving this number is the number of people who have left the labor market altogether. I guess that's the the flip side of such a low unemployment rate. We read all the time now about people who are making really different choices about their work lives, and many of them have decided that. Work itself doesn't have a place in in their world. They're they're figuring things out in in other ways. How much does that have to do with us reaching this decades old milestone? I think that's a part of the of the picture. But I would actually draw attention to another thing that I think is much bigger, uh, which is. The uh, the baby boom. Uh, I'm a baby boomer, born in the 50s. The baby boom, roughly speaking, is Americans born between about 1946 and 1964, when birth rates were very high. So there's a lot of us. There's every year there's four million of us. Well, uh, the oldest of the baby boomers became eligible for Social Security benefits in 2008. And uh, in the several years after that, we didn't really see much of an exodus. But then... In the last 10 years or so, we have seen a big decrease in what we call the labor force participation rate. That's, that's not whether you're employed or unemployed. That's that you've left the labor force. 
part of that is is as you say people reevaluate people who are not elderly who are reevaluating their work lives but a very big part of it is um that the baby boomers boomers are getting old and many of them have retired and so uh if the labor force participation rate was what it was 15 years ago mm-hmm. we'd have 13 million more workers than we have now and 13 million workers that would that would fill an awful lot of jobs and that's and that's one reason why our our labor force is so tight now that uh as you say some younger workers have reevaluated their workforce work life and they've left or or done something but a lot of older workers are now retired mm. and they're no most of them are not coming back into mm. the labor force yeah uh, we're talking with Charles Ballard, who is a professor of economics at Michigan State University. We're talking about uh, the economic picture here in our country right now. Recent news says we are at a 3% unemployment rate, a number that most of us can't remember the last time that we saw that number with regard to unemployment. What does that mean, though, for the overall economy? Uh, What does it mean for problems like inflation, something we've been dealing with since uh, last year and and really worried about how it affects uh, our ability to to live our lives? We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us how you feel about the economy right now. Are, Are you someone who has recently found a new job or... Maybe you've gotten a raise in the job that you're in now. Do you feel like you're able to afford basic goods like gas and groceries, things that have gone up pretty significantly in price since uh, last year? Uh, Also, give us a sense if you're still feeling locked out of all of this good news, if you're having trouble finding work or the kind of work that would sustain you uh, the way that uh, that you need in your life. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Uh, uh, Charlie, I want to talk about inflation now and the relationship between the unemployment rate or, or how many people are working and inflation. Should we be worried that these very low numbers uh, have a negative effect on inflation, or do they have a positive effect? Well, um, the, the, you know, for, for 40 years, um, we had very low inflation. The last time that we had a significant bout of inflation was in the very late 70s and the early 80s. And um, the Federal Reserve, uh, beginning in 1979, raised interest rates dramatically. They caused a, a deep recession, but they did stamp out inflation. And we, we managed to avoid inflation for about 40 years. Um, then COVID came. Uh, well, actually, a whole bunch of things. The, the, the tax cuts that took effect in 2018 pumped a lot of money into the economy. Then COVID did two things. It disrupted the supply chains, meaning it was, you know, you couldn't find things in the grocery store. If you could, their prices were up. And then it also uh, led to the, the policy responses of the, uh, the American Rescue Plan, the, the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, the uh, stimulus checks. All of that pumped a tremendous amount of money into the economy, and it put... Um, 
it, 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 there were more dollars cha- chasing fewer goods, and that's a formula for higher prices. And in that context, the Federal Reserve last year began to try to step on the brakes. Their goal, of course, is to slow down the economy, slow down inflation without creating a recession. So far, we're not in a recession, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to avoid one. But the Federal Reserve, when they see half a million jobs created in January, uh, when they see uh, a a variety of indicators, it's Still seems to them that the the economy is is still chugging along pretty strong, and and we have uh, last month's inflation was up um, half a percentage point in one month, six point four percent over the last year. So that's higher than the Fed would like to see. Now, I should say we have made some progress against inflation. Inflation was much lower in the second half of 2022 than in the first half, but um, I, I, what I anticipate is that the Fed will look at these numbers and say, we've got to put on the brakes more. We've got to increase interest rates more in an, in an attempt to um, slow down the labor market, slow down the housing market, and uh, bring inflation further under control. So it's a very mixed picture at this time. And and when we think about uh, uh, you know the 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 idea of the unemployment rate going down and we always want it to, uh, how how much does that really matter? I guess given the things that you were you were just saying, I mean there 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 are lots of different ways to to think about the economy and how it's how it's doing. Um, I, I guess I'm I'm wondering if. Uh, part of what you're saying is don't pay so much attention uh, to that. There are other things going on, too, and, and we still have some worries. Well, absolutely. Uh, nobody should pay uh, all of their attention to any one indicator because there's so many things. You know, even with the unemployment rate low, which by itself is a very good thing, uh, as I said, a lot of the, those jobs that have been pushing down the unemployment rate you know they're only making uh, uh, they're making less than twenty dollars an hour. That's that does not put you on easy street. And and you and I have talked more than once on your program in the past about inequality. How mm-hmm. boy, look the 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 doctors and the uh, the CEOs and the, uh, the 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 tech gurus and all those folks are making tons of money, but ordinary people. Um, are in many cases just getting by if that. And so, so it's, yeah, I would say look at a lot of indicators. Um, and look at the unemployment rate. Right now it's in good shape. But look at the degree of inequality. It hasn't been in good shape for a long time. Look at, um, look at the inflation rate, which is concerning. So there's, there's a whole bunch of things. Uh, you know, our economy is awfully complicated and, and um, multifaceted, and there isn't any single indicator that, that tells everything that we want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones, uh, 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can work you into the conversation. I've got a couple Twitter comments I want to have you respond to, uh, uh, Charlie. Uh, Michael on Twitter says, part of my concern with the unemployment rate is all employment counts for that metric. Too many employed people 
don't have employer-provided health care, not to mention any path to retirement. Uh, you were just talking about the gaps that exist in employment. Uh, but we also have this bigger question, I think, of whether all got, all jobs are good jobs and what a good job looks like beyond what people are paying or beyond the fact that they just have a job. Michael raises a very, very good question, and it and it's a, a it's a he's he's right on the money. Um, the uh, uh, you know every other advanced country, all the countries of Western Europe, Japan, Australia, Canada, they all have uh, systems. They're different in in different ways, but they all have a some sort of a system where everybody has health insurance. We're the only advanced country that does not have. Um, universal health insurance. The, the good news is that 94% of the people in Michigan have health insurance. But the bad news is that that leaves 600,000 Michiganders without health insurance. And, and many of them are people who have a job that pays them a wage but does not provide health insurance. And so, yeah, that's, that's uh, the, the unemployment rate by itself. It, it, the fact that it's so low is nice. But not all of those jobs are very good jobs. Um, also, there are people who are counted as employed, but they're working part-time, and they would prefer to work full-time, but they can't find a full-time job. So there's, there's many aspects to this, and not all of them are rosy by any means. Mm, yeah. Uh, John on Twitter also says, uh, does the relationship between unemployment and inflation demonstrate that a reserve army of labor is necessary for a capitalist economy and mean that we can dispel with the notion that if we just work harder, we will all have jobs. Uh, that that, that kind of gets at this question about 0% uh, uh, unemployment, full employment, and, and whether that's possible or whether, I guess, the, the economy is structured in a way that we need some unemployment for things to work. Uh, well, uh, we should be careful about uh, zero unemployment is never going to happen, nor should it, because um, the, that 3% or so who are unemployed, many of those people are in transition between one job or another. So, so the, the unemployment rate comes from every month. The Labor Department has a, an army of people who conduct a big survey and they ask people questions. They say, they say first of all, are, are you working? And then if you say yes, you, you answer a bunch of other questions about the nature of your job. Well, um, what if you're not working? Well, there are lots of people uh, who, yes, they're not working right now, but that's just because they're switching from one job to another and in six weeks they'll be at their new job or in three weeks they'll be at their new job. So, we don't want that kind of unemployment to disappear. We don't want people to be locked into a job permanently. This kind of uh, in unemployment that we call frictional unemployment is actually good for a dynamic economy because you want people to be able to move from one job to another. So an unemployment rate down in the threes is about as low as we can reasonably expect, given that what's left is mostly people who have unusual. It's, it's not that they can't find a job. Uh, it's that they uh, are in transition. So um, I'm not sure if I answered the question, but uh, uh, zero unemployment is not what we're looking for. Three is a, is a great number. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, last question. How much do you believe that President Biden and our congressional representatives, given all the work that they've done to try to boost the economy, including pretty big spending bills on infrastructure and the Inflation Reduction Act, does that have does that get credit for this low unemployment number? I think to the, the fairest thing to say is that, that sh- we should give some credit, maybe a lot of credit, to those programs for getting the unemployment number low. Um, the downside is that I think that those programs also contributed to the inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it had been up to me, we would have done all the, those programs, but they would have been more targeted than they, more closely targeted, more limited than they were. Um, in, in other words, uh, well, for instance, the, the, um, stimulus checks, some stimulus checks went to households with incomes of, those folks didn't need a stimulus check. Mm. I I think it should have been a lot more targeted. And and my view is that we could have gotten the same amount of growth in the economy with a whole lot less uh, of of that stimulus, and and thus we might have been able to grow the economy without as much inflationary pressure. But, uh, but overall, I would, I would give uh, substantial credit to the, that policy response. Remember, in April of 2020, we had unemployment rate of, uh, in Michigan 20% or so. Mm-hmm. So um, we've, we've bounced back remarkably well from the COVID recession and the, the various programs that were enacted both in the Trump administration and in the Biden administration, uh, deserve some credit for that. Okay. Uh, Charles Ballard, always great to have you here on the program. Always great to hear your insights about uh, the economy. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you. My pleasure. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about jobs, but we're going to pivot to Detroit and dig into a new Detroit Future City report on where the best job opportunities are here in our city. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019. How are you feeling about the economy right now? How are you feeling about the jobs picture? Are you someone recently got a new job or maybe got a raise in the job that you're already in? Or are you someone who is still struggling to make ends meet given all the inflationary pressures that there still are on the economy? How are you making that work even if you're not getting a raise or a new job? 313-577-1019 is the number here. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined us. 
We've been talking about employment dynamics nationally, and now we want to turn and talk a little more locally. After years of struggling financially and going into bankruptcy, Detroit has been recovering after the Great Recession. But that doesn't mean we necessarily know what jobs Detroiters and in the metro area, what should we be investing in? Which ones pay the most money, where the best opportunities are, and really important, how to create more innovative, creative, high-paying jobs for more people in the region. We talk a lot on this show about opportunity. This is a key pivot point in that discussion. How do we make sure that people who need access to opportunity, need higher-paying jobs, have them in our community? The local think tank Detroit Future City recently published a report about which occupations are the most growth-oriented, where, that is, the best job opportunities are for Detroiters and Metro Detroiters. To talk about this report here now is uh, Anika Goss. She is the CEO of Detroit Future City, and she has been thinking a lot about employment and job growth in our region. Anika Goss, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about uh, this report. And I I guess my first question is the number here, 107 growth occupations, according to your report. First, what is a growth occupation? And give us some examples of what jobs they include and then talk about why there are 107 of them. (laughs) Right. So uh, uh, we define a growth occupation as uh, jobs that grew faster than the regional average um, and uh, had wage growth uh, that was positive uh, from 2014 to 2019. Um, And these are also jobs that are making more than or of at least $25 an hour uh, in 2019, and and that sort of fit into uh, being able to employ at least um, 300 jobs uh, or provide 300 jobs across the region. So there are about 107 occupations uh, that, um, that we've identified that fit into those categories. Um, in the region, which is actually, you know, is pretty competitive. Uh, and I, I think it's in line from, you know, the other sort of standard uh, economic uh, studies that have been done uh, across the region in the state, such as the Chambers regions, State of the Region Report, and the um, Business Leaders for Michigan report on the region. Mm-hmm. So uh, talk about what kinds of jobs these are? Who are the people who occupy these these growth jobs? So these are jobs that are um, the top. Well, we in the report really talk about the top 10 jobs. And so these are jobs that do require some additional skills. The number one job in the region are registered nurses, but there are also um, general operations managers and uh, accountants and software developers. But then there's also elementary school teachers um, and electricians. 
uh, which I think people are surprised by. Loan officers also made the top 10. And those jobs, the top 10, actually the bottom uh, wage for the top 10 was actually sales representatives of services uh, for $29 and 46 cents. Mm. And the top one, um, the top job was actually the general operations managers. And I think that really the way to think about this, um, and you have to kind of dig into the report, which we really hope people do. We tried to write, this is, you know, economic development and jobs is really complicated, mm -hmm. you know, Wall Street Journal kind of stuff. So people kind of glaze over and we really tried to organize this information to be really accessible. And so one of the things that we emphasize in the report, Stephen, is that we, there are jobs and our partners at uh, Opportunity at Work really talks about these origin jobs. And these are jobs that people might have right now that are low wage jobs that could then transition into what we think of as a growth occupation. So if you're a clerk, for example, um, or a cashier or a teller, and you're making maybe 17 or $18 an hour, maybe even $16 an hour, those are jobs that need to be reanalyzed in terms of skills where people can actually quickly move into these growth occupations in higher performing management level where they can easily begin to be making much higher rates. But what we're finding is that that's not really happening, especially for Black and Latino workers. Mm. Uh, I, I want to talk just a little about the kinds of things that people need to do to be prepared for uh, these jobs. One of the one of the issues that, of course, we have here in Metro Detroit and especially in the city is education and training. And of course, uh, mm -hmm. the jobs that we're talking about here are jobs that you do need some some preparation for. Uh, are, are, are you finding that um, in these 107 jobs, for instance, that uh, there are enough people who have that training and education to get them in our region? Or is that a gap that we still need to focus on? Well, I think, you know, there's tools, there's, there's actually two answers to that, uh, Stephen. We actually found in our analysis that about 60% of the workers in growth occupations uh, do not have a four-year degree. Hmm. So that's something to think about, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. that, that not all of these jobs even require a four-year degree the way we think about them. But if you the more education what we also found is that the more education you do have the more likely you are to be to move into one of these positions as you said because they do require some upskilling right mm -hmm. and so i think what and this sort of gets into the recommendations this truly organized effort of linking um, education and skills to the jobs that are actually available for growth has to be a part of the, the strategy here. Because what we're seeing is that too, too many of our population is falling really, really behind because they don't have 
the education attainment that would qualify or position them for these jobs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking with Anika Goss. She is the CEO of Detroit Future City, a local think tank. Uh, DFC recently published a report on the best job opportunities in Detroit and in Metro Detroit. That's what we're talking about today on the show. Yep. Uh, the opportunities that exist uh, right now in the national economy, but also uh, locally here in Detroit and in its suburbs. Uh, we would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think are the hottest industries in Detroit and in the metro area? What do you think we need to do to employ more people in Detroit and our metro area? Uh, also give us a call and let us know what your experience has been like trying to get a job in Detroit or in the suburbs. What are the jobs that have paid you the most? Uh, where do you think people should be investing their skills to land good-paying jobs, and in particular jobs that move people up the economic ladder. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, Anika, we we talk all the time here on the show about... Um, you know, the inequality that exists in, in our region and the way in which, uh, you know, economic indicators either reflect that or in some cases uh, fuel that. I want to talk here about, I guess, the differences between uh, city and suburb uh, when we talk about these kinds of opportunities, but also uh, between black and brown people and, and others. Uh, what, are we, what are we learning from this report about that inequality gap. Yeah, um, it was that part of it. The data was pretty disheartening, um, actually, Stephen. And but you know, we we want to talk about it anyway. Mm-hmm. The gaps are pretty great. Black people, in particular, um, are one and a half, almost one and a half times uh, less likely to be hired with the same education Hmm. as their white counterparts um, across the board. Hmm. And if you compare, um, um, uh, if you're able to compare between high school and college, then then it's even, the gap is even further. It ends up being two and a half times uh, as, uh, at between black workers and white workers in terms of being employed for for the same job. And then when you look at across the region, we're also seeing that uh, even across the region, and while we assume that um, households or uh, black workers and brown workers, in the suburbs are more likely to be hired for those jobs because they are, because they're closer to the jobs um, or because generally we think things are better in the suburbs. They're also not being hired for these same jobs. Hmm. And um, and the, the path, and it's almost by half for black workers um, in Metro Detroit to um, white and uh, Asian workers uh, in the suburbs. So this is a real problem. And it's a problem 
that I don't think we can ignore any longer that uh, workplace and economic development growth has racial barriers right. that we need to overcome in order for us all to succeed. And I feel like that has to be the leading mantra that that's not just an issue that happened in 2020. This is something that is pervasive in the workforce hiring place. And, you know, just listening to you talk, I mean, the the very stark differences at the same level of education, for instance, right. really just point to this being about discrimination, about racism. Uh, and we kind of just have to name that and, and, and call it out that that even despite uh, all the, the kind of progress we see with in, in other you know environments and in other spaces, we still have this problem that um, that is just about race and about uh, about discrimination. Exactly. And so if we're wanting, I mean, it was really interesting because when we look at other regions, even in the South, right, <laughs> they are advancing much higher than we are oh, in really? terms of closing those kinds of racial gaps. Wow. So I think we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, the per first the first step to change is admitting it. And then we can all move forward together to make those changes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking with Anika Goss of Detroit Future City about opportunities and jobs here in Detroit and in Metro Detroit. We'll also get going with you on the phones and back to social. Uh, Munir in Detroit, Gene in Wyandotte, we will get to you first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined us. I'm talking to Anika Goss. She's the CEO of Detroit Future City, and they have published a recent report on the best job opportunities in Detroit and Metro Detroit. They've identified 107 growth occupations, uh, the kinds of jobs that move people from their current economic status to a better one. Uh, we're also talking about the context uh, for for these kinds of conversations, the things that still really hold us back uh, in in the region and hold black and brown uh, Metro Detroiters back in uh, really unfair ways still uh, because of uh, lingering discrimination and racism. As always, we want to hear from you on the phones and on social as well. Give us a call. Let us know uh, what your experience is in the job marketplace here. Uh, have you found a really good job recently uh, because unemployment is so low right now? Uh, or are you someone who's still struggling to find 
the job that you need to move forward. Also, let us know how you're dealing with inflation, which is better, but still pretty high and straining people to make ends meet, to buy things like basics, like groceries and gas and all of those kinds of things. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us. Let's start today with Munir in Detroit. Munir, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, just wanted to uh, kind of talk about my experience. So uh, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, the lockdown, uh, I used to so I used to work in hospitality management. Uh, and when the hotel that I worked at downtown closed, uh, you know, I took advantage and uh, began training up at U of M remotely for cybersecurity. Hmm. Um, and within about 11 months, you know, I got uh, a certificate. And within about six, you know, about five months after that, I was working in a new field. And uh, hmm. I was uh, able to do remote work. And um, I was able to increase my take home by very close to 50 percent. Um, so there, wow. there are job opportunities um, and the company I work for. They do have a local office, but I'm seeing more and more companies. They are hiring for remote work so you can live here in Metro Detroit, um, but you can be working for a tech firm or uh, someone in the financial industry or any different company who needs IT, tech support, cloud engineering, database uh, engineering, um, cybersecurity, whatever the case may be. And you can uh, really begin to make uh, upwards of, you know, uh, close to a, starting off at close to 100000 mm-hmm. or if not within a, uh, in a couple of years making that type of money. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that I wish I was able to take advantage of um, is just I started my training earlier, but now, uh, you know, State of Michigan, uh, Governor uh, Whitmer, um, a.k.a. Uh, Big Gretch, you know, as they call it, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, they made a lot of this training uh, uh, free through uh, some of the community colleges in the area. I know wow. Washtenaw County has some free training. Sure. I believe WC3 uh, uh, District does, and maybe Henry Ford as well. But Grand Valley, uh, I think Grand Valley community, it's, it's a list of them. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are opportunities so, uh, Munir, that we can take advantage of. I'm curious how you came up with this plan. Uh, I mean, yeah. As you said, your hotel closed during the pandemic. What made you decide that, that this was the thing to do? And then how did you kind of find out even where to go and, and, and what to do? I'm not sure I would know that. So honestly, I was uh, <laughs> because uh, hospitality management is not like the best paying job. Like it's, it's one of those jobs that you do because you love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there were some pressures on the job and financial pressures outside the job that really just left me looking. Um, but with the amount of hours I was working, I didn't have time to transition. And if I was to get another job, I would be taking a pay cut. So literally, honestly, for a, a close to three years, I was just hoping and praying something would happen. So uh, in, in March, that second week of March, when everything began to close, uh, I was always looking online anyway. So, you know, uh, with Google, you know, they have the cookies. 
So if you're looking, <laughs> they're always sending you advertisements That's for right. training and things like that. <laughs> and U of M has started a their Hacker U um, cybersecurity training program. And I was actually a part of their first class. Wow. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, once we were sent home and uh, I, I just happened to fill out a, a form online about a week prior just to get information, the lady actually called me literally two or three days after we got <laughs> sent home. And I was just like, hey, let's let's move forward, forward with this. I'll never get this opportunity to uh, have yeah. the time to train any other time how how great is that Munir? It's i mean a wonderful story i know right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh, anika th- that's exactly the the, the kind yeah. of thing you're hoping more people will get uh, get an opportunity to do i mean it's, it's like he comes out of your report <laughs> absolutely that is an amazing story congratulations uh to the caller because that is um that's exactly what we're talking about, right? Like he's like living the report, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, you know, some of these jobs, hospitality and other kinds of uh, industries end up becoming low wage. And in an urban area, you just can't afford to continue um to only be in one sector that's paying at such a low wage. Mm-hmm. And these other opportunities like cybersecurity are growing industries um, and that are paying at much higher rates and what we're seeing in other places. And the other point that I think is really, really important about this is the connection that the, the, the caller said, it was, he named a university and he named all three uh, or four community college systems yep. that were a part of this movement into this new upskill training for this whole new career. It's that kind of coordination that I feel like we're just in the beginning of hmm. that's going to be required in a really robust way for us to see more of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Manir, uh, that's such a, a wonderful story. I'm really, I'm really glad things have worked out for you uh, the way they have, and, and, and thanks for calling. Uh, let's go next to Susan in Berkeley. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi, Mr. Henderson. Hi. I really appreciate your, your show. Your guest, um, Ms. Gross, is right on target. I'm a retired RN. Um, I mm. used to um, be a manager with a home care agency. I also, prior to that, uh, taught in Detroit with the Job Training Partnership Act. It was uh, federally funded for LPNs. This was a two-year program that we had classes of 80 each year. Um, and the LPNs, you know, that graduated would come back so proud and so happy with their kids dressed to the nines. They were able to work um, one job instead of two. They were the backbone of our nursing homes, which are now in desperate need. Um, The other program I taught with, both in a private um, home care agency, but also through Crockett, which was a vocational school, was a certified nurse aid program that is run by the state. They train the trainers, one like myself, and it's a three-week program, or it used to be, and it included clinical 
experience. Like we had a, a group at, um, oh gosh, it was a nursing home near Henry Ford on, uh, oh, what is that? I can't remember the street. Hmm. Um, but what's happening now with um, training for nurse assistants is they're called patient assistants. And the nursing homes will train them very briefly with online classes. Mm. I really hesitate to direct people that way. Check the community colleges. Check for a Michigan State Certified Nurse Assistant Program. Mm -hmm. It's so worthwhile. It will be the first ladder step toward something like an LPN program or an RN program starting with um, the, the colleges. Which is, which is the way that you, you, you make money and, and move up uh, in nursing. Uh, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right, Susan. Uh, Anika, here again, uh, the role of community colleges and, absolutely. Uh, and our education infrastructure and all of this is, is, is coming out, but also um, this dire need for nurses. Nursing was one of the, the, the jobs that uh, your report identified. It's the number one job. All right. It's we the have, number one growth sector job in Detroit. And we have this incredible <laughs> shortage. I mean, just last week or so, we were talking on the show about there are not enough nurses. So that's a place people can really can really look and, and, and take Absolutely. advantage of this. Yeah. And Stephen, can I just really quickly say, sure. I think what's also really important about the caller, Susan, uh, that what she mentioned about um, the home healthcare aid industry, it's one of the lowest paid industries. It really is. Mm -hmm. and, but it's the highest employed of Black and Latino workers. Wow. So finding a way, I think that's a really, really good example of how to, if you're a home health care aide or a patient aide, and you, moving from that sector into the traditional medical sector of becoming an LPN, becoming an RN in those traditional pathways is critically important. I feel like that's a perfect example of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Anika Goss, it's always really great to have you here uh, to talk about uh, all of these really interesting uh, things that DFC is uh, looking into here in our region. Thanks so much for joining us today. Stephen, thank you so much for having me and highlighting the report. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when we will have more great programming here on Detroit Today. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Uh, the technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, and our student producer is Taylor Davis. Detroit Today's music was created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Also remember, if you like this show, if you get a lot out of listening to this program, share it with your friends and your relatives and your neighbors, the people that you know and who might also really enjoy listening to us. You can find us at WDET.org or on our Detroit Today podcast, which you can download wherever you download podcasts. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.